We're back to Foul Play podcast number 8,722. I don't even know how many we've done together, Shane, but this is Gemma and I'm with Shane again. And I'm so excited about our guest tonight because this is one of your favorite people in addition to ours. Tonight, our guests are Teresa Lancaster and Teresa from The Keepers. She was Jane No, and her beautiful daughter, Annette is here with her tonight because they have been best buddies and have worked on a project together that now has come to fruition. So welcome, Annette, and welcome, Teresa. Hi there. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was many days I didn't think we'd ever get the book together. And Annette just kept saying, it'll get there, it'll get there. And then I wrote it, and then I said, here it is, it's all written. And she said, that's your outline, rewrite, and the hell. But she kept helping me perfect. Before I go into the book, we've heard from you before in the podcast, and the keepers is coming up to five years. What has life been like for you since those five years? It's been surreal. When I can't believe I actually did it. It was like telling Jess and Ryan the story and going to see Keo. Didn't think that it was going to be as big as it turned out to be. I thought it was going to be when they said a documentary. I thought oh, it's just a documentary, but then when they told me it was going to be on Netflix, and then they told me we had to sign releases and it was getting bigger and bigger. I was just really scared out out of my mind. I, I kept saying to Donna, I said, I just want to appear normal, if nothing else. I want to appear normal. I got a call from Jess and Ryan that said that they were interested in the Sister Kathy story and the abuse of Keo, and would I mind meeting them and talking about what happened to me at that time, Tom Nugent. And I were buddies and I called him and I said, are these people crackpots? Are they going to murder me? Are they want to meet for lunch somewhere. And he said, just meet them at Panera Bread. What can go wrong there? And we just sat down and all of a sudden I just started telling him about the chap. The, the people next to us really got an earful but and then after i told them the story over a course of two hours they said would you mind doing this again on film and i said no problem because it's a story i wanted to get out there forever Teresa, do you remember the day that we met at home depot parking lot that was my first time meeting you and we rode around with that's the ryan to all the places where everything happened and went inside keo and Made up a story that Jess and Ryan were a young couple from California who were thinking about enrolling their daughter at the elementary school that was now inside EO. And they actually let us walk around with the secretary. And I know that wasn't an easy day for you, Teresa. I was worried about you. I think I held on to you just to make yeah. sure, because I'm taller than you are, and I wasn't sure what was going to happen, but. You were really brave that day. It was rough. I do think that might have been the first time we met because you gave me a rope of Lancaster lifesavers. 
for Lancaster. When we went to Keogh and went into the chapel, I felt more at ease because they were naturals. Like Jess took the tour guide over to the Glockers as if they're interesting and, and kept them busy so we could go into the chapel. I could see everything in there. So besides being the producer, Jess does everything. So yeah. she tracked the woman who was showing us around and asked a million questions about those darn lockers. So anyway, that was funny. It was actually funny. We want to talk about your book, Teresa, and anything else you want to talk about. But for our listeners, Teresa has written a book and the title is Safe in Socks, S-O-C-K-S. And Teresa, my question is, what does the title mean? And what made you decide to write the book? was a story that had to be told. And believe it or not, I've been trying to write that book for ever since the Doe King's Law. I just had to get my story out there. And a lot of times during media depositions, the lawyers mocked me and stuff like that. And they would even say, what did you have on? And then I kept saying my socks. And, I, and then they said, would you look at Maskell Richter? And I said, no, I looked at my socks. And then I realized that the socks were a way for me to just leave the room and escape what was going on with me. So I found safe safety in my socks. Because they let, thank God, they let me keep my socks on. Unbelievable. Teresa, what made you decide? to actually sit down and start writing? Was there something that happened or were you writing notes all along? What made you actually decide to put your pen to paper, so to speak? I had collecting boxes of what I call shoebox notes, and they consisted of the depositions. And my one brother said, just staple the depositions together and sell it as a book. It's a bestseller. <laughs> but I just, I wanted the story told. And it was hard. Every time I'd go to those boxes, it was almost like they were possessed. Because when I opened them up and then I saw Mask's name and the Holy Cross Day and the other victims and stuff. But I kept at it. And I think law school helped me a great deal to understand the realities of why I lost and of course, I had Randy here every step of the way. He offered to write it. I don't know how many times he was going to write it, but I just needed the people to know what happened in school. And I know I get graphics sometimes, especially in chapter six, but I'm tired of victims saying I was abused. I think they should say I, I was raped. My clothes were ripped off and they inserted his penis in me. That way, the people that don't know what goes on to these children behind the doors, he abused. What's that mean? Does he touch you? Does he smell dirty jokes or whatever? So that was one of my driving forces to get the story out there so that we could stop it. Make people aware it's going on and it's going on now. But I think we're making it then. I really do think the more we do, the more we keep on, the more more we're doing. Teresa, I liked how you worded that. I think when we talk about children being abused, 
that's right, easy term to use. And as you said, if people are specific on how they were abused, it sounds a lot worse and it should. So I hope that resonates with our listeners. Annette, I know that you were also involved with the book. I'd like to hear from both of you what that experience was like. Sure. For as long as I can remember, my mom had been wanting to share her story. And I think we're all in agreement. She is a very inspiringly powerful, strong-willed person and very clear in her articulation as to what has happened to her. And I think a lot of the trepidation to sharing, putting it together in a way where it it was a a story, like an actual problem. And there was a lot of fear when the Keeper's documentary was coming out because of just some negative experiences we've had with my mom sharing that she was a victim of abuse and animosity from a lot of the Catholics who believe that the victims were light and all sorts of things, or even if they believed that it happened, my mom would get messages that she was sort of centered and those kinds of things. So there was a lot of fear that we felt even during the filming of the keepers about let's share this story to make a difference, but also what is going to happen. You heard my mom say earlier before even meeting Justin Ryan, she was worried that they might be murderers themselves. And we know the sweetest people ever, (laughs) but that's when you're a victim of rape and abuse, like you have this pervasive distrust of everybody. And once the movie came out, I think that was really what was the whole pen to paper thing, because my mom felt that she could share her story and just not sure how to do it. My mom in her high school experience didn't get much of a, an education as far as the literary arts go or anything. She was busy fighting for her life and vanity. She didn't have very much confidence in writing. And for a, a while, I would take her writing together into an outline. And then knowing the content of the material, it got that got pretty overwhelming for me because I was in grad school at the time. And also, it's pretty heavy subject matter. So my mom and I would, we would talk through different, like, ways of writing. I enjoy writing recreationally. And so we would talk about similar experiences, not the exact instances of rape and abuse and expounding on experiences, senses, and touch and things. And I think that was healing in a way as well. I do want to ask you. When did you learn about what happened to your mom? That's an interesting question. I can't pin down an exact moment. It was just a part of regular conversation growing up. And I suppose we had a twisted humor about it. And growing up, we had different kinds of things that we were concerned about. Like people are so hung up over normal things. And, and we would joke, Father Maskell wouldn't like a dirty toilet, things like that. And maybe that's not healthy, but or maybe it is because it takes away the power of those things. Like that wasn't normal and it was normalized, but it wasn't normalized as being okay. It's normalized as being wrong. The world was a pretty dangerous place. Were you alive during the Doe Road trial? Oh, yeah. I was in middle school when it happened. And what was that experience like for you being Teresa's daughter? I was proud of my mom. And 
wanted to support her in any way. It was disheartening when she lost the case. It felt very unfair. I didn't, but I myself, most of my life, lots of things happened that seemed pretty, pretty unfair. So it was all par for the course. Yeah, her dad died when she was very young. And I don't know if it was my coping mechanism or my ceiling that I needed to prepare Annette and her sister, Christy, and the older ones. I, but Annette was so little, like she was like three years old, and my husband was really sick. I said, don't get attached to him. He's not going to be here long. And I doubt that I'd get Mother of the Year award for that. I just, I tried to protect them and I kept them out of church. I kept them afraid, not afraid, but I said, don't ever trust man with a collar and your dad's going to be dead in six months. I don't know. I tried to um, be normal in an abnormal situation. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Kind of sounds like your entire life, at least during high school, you've been having to deal with that. Trying to live a normal life in an abnormal Before I let Gemma ask her question, Teresa, what was it like working with Annette on the book? Did it mean a lot to you? Oh, it meant a great deal. It meant so much. Annette and I have always had a bond. When I found out I was pregnant with her and I wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant, I just knew that she was sent to me for a very special reason. Her older sister, Christy, has learning disabilities. Annette's always protected her. Annette has always had knowledge beyond her years. And it it seems like she could sense things. And when we were working on the book, she'd ask me if I had enough. And then I'd say, why don't we talk about drugs? And now everybody was getting loaded and dark humor. I think dark humor, but I could not have written the book without her support. There's just no way. Teresa, the whole world fell in love with you and the keepers. You know that. And since that series came out, you have been really open and honest and willing to show your face and talk to people about what happened to you. And I'm wondering now that book is complete, What are some of the big ideas that you would like your readers to take away from it? And what message do you have for people that are reading it? I want people to know that 
these things happen a lot. The abuse during the church has been going on for hundreds and hundreds of years. And what I want them to take away from it is watch your kid. I have a friend I went to law school with, and she had two beautiful little girls, and they were taking piano lessons. And when I befriended her to law school, she told her husband, who took the kids to piano lessons, don't you dare leave either one of them alone with that teacher. I'd warned people. I would tell people like my friend from where I lived in Morrow Park that don't let your daughter be alone with Maskell. He's a pervert. He's a pervert. And that was my way of ringing a bell that this is going on. And no, the church isn't going to do a damn thing about it because they don't have to. And that's what I want to get out of this book. I want accountability to the bishops all the way up. And I take pleasure in seeing the tote going down the ex-pope because there was a day when that never would have happened. And I think keeping on, I think me too, and everybody has had enough. And now they know, and we're getting it out in the light. And that's what we need to do. How does it make you feel that you, from the very beginning, have shown your face, literally, and the people that are responsible that are still living have done nothing, even to face you? They're not on television, yeah, accepting responsibility. That very much irritates me. I spoke to some people in SNAP about how I would love to just sit down across the table from the higher ups, the bishops and the red hat people and say, look, what are you going to do to fix this? This is a problem. What are you going to do? But lately, I don't see that happening. Just personally see the church as as a big corporation at this point. And the best thing to do is just to get it out there. Don't leave your kid alone with an adult. And it's better safe than sorry. And listen to them. I think one of the things that we talked about, we had worked on in the creation of the book was, yes, having a cautionary tale to prevent future abuse, such as what went on at Kio, but more along the theme of not just surviving, but thriving after surviving something horrible. And I think that's what you can read in the book is how my mother thrived post-abuse just despite of all of the things that had happened to her and despite of so many other victims didn't have the strong will that she has to go forward and she might be rough around the edges and a bit crass and that part of what gave her the strength to survive. We use the term survivors a lot. And it shouldn't be taken lightly because there were people literally that didn't survive and not just murder. You you know what I'm saying? It's just such a harrowing experience. I try not to show emotion. And there were times with Maskell doing things and I would blurt out, you're not going to break me. You're not going to break me. Of course, I got smacked around for that, but it was worth saying that. It was like like being pit bull, and I think it helped me survive. I really do. How has the reaction been to your book? Oh, I get messages. I get emails. 
Randy, I make him read them because they bring me to tears. So many people are thanking me for being able for the first time in their life to come forward and say, yeah, my uncle's from the time I was three through 12. Yes. And my brother, my coach, and of course, priests. And they have strength to come forward and say this to their family. And sometimes the family just doesn't want anything more to do with them. And they ask me, what should I do about that? And I said, with friends like that, you don't need enemies. I'm getting from all around the world. Actually, people have asked me if I could write the book or have it published Italian, French, and I'm just going to look into that. But Matt said it might lose some of its contents. One of the things we are going to do is do an audio book. The audio, yes. yes. Yeah. Or mom will read the book, which I think will be very lovely. Yeah, that sounds like fun. <laughs> Bruce, of the book there with you, is there a paragraph or part of a page you would like to read that we can share with the people that are going to be listening to this? Oh, I don't know. I did put somewhere in here about losing my mom was the single most horrible thing that ever happened to me in my life. And at that point, I did not want to go on. I wanted to dive off Bay Bridge. I did not want to go on. But I saw the kids, I mean, uh, the grandkids, and it, you just, you got to go on. But still, that was the lowest part. And had she not died in 1993, I never would have come forward. This would have never happened. But I could never, ever let my mom see what happened to I've talked to some survivors from Keogh who their parents still don't know. And it's, there's, they don't want to admit it, but they are waiting for their parents to pass so that they can feel comfortable sharing the story publicly. Of course, yeah. it depends on what you believe about an afterlife, but by then their parents will be like, they'll know everything. They'll know stuff we don't know. But I think what you said is very true. Teresa, where could listeners get your book? And how would they get a signed copy? It's on Amazon. And I have told people that I would be glad to sign it. If they get a copy, they can send it to me and I'll mail it back because it's paid and I'll sign it for them. And that book signing we're going to have on me in April I'm going to buy a stack of books to, to have so that I will be able to sign them. I'm also looking into getting them into some bookstores, Barnes and Nobles and stuff. Teresa and I are going to do an event in April 16th, and I'll post some things on social media about it. It's actually for the Maryland Crime Victims Resource, and they are providing pro bono legal and investigative assistance to us in both working with survivors and helping them get what they need and in finding the answers to who killed Kathy and Joyce. So Teresa will be sharing a table and we're going to take our books and they'll be able to advertise. It's actually a a walk run, a three-mile walk run, but there's going to be tables along the way with resources for people in Maryland who are victims of crime. 
And Teresa has represented a lot of abuse survivors. She's got this amazing book that's going to be very therapeutic. And I've been working with some survivors as an advocate. We'll post that on your page, Shane, if that's okay with you. And for the listeners, we'll get more information out about that when we get more information. That sounds great. Sounds like a very good opportunity for people to meet you guys in person as well. Teresa, what advice do you have for survivors who also experience childhood sexual abuse? Any advice for their families? I tell survivors to talk about it. If they can't talk to their family at first, like I couldn't, go to people like Snap and talk about it. And then we can get people that are like liaisons and that will help talk to the family. I did not talk to my father till the road chase. And that went over like the lead to live, but I didn't want him to read about that in the newspaper. I just laid it out to him. So I'm, there's a more genteel way to tell your family. And I think Jean does that very well in her book about what happened to her. And with her family's core, it's just fantastic. But there are a lot of people I know that they don't believe. And those are the people that, that really fall through the cracks and turn to substance abuse and suicide. You, you need a support system, but it doesn't have to be family. It, I keep telling people, you're not alone. I'm around with, through the SNAP group. If you want to talk, just call me and I'll make time to talk. Teresa, you're a gift. You know that, right? You both are what you've shared with the whole world. And I see Randy patting your shoulder, but you are stealth. And you and Annette did great teamwork, but it doesn't surprise me because I know you have that kind of relationship. Before we close, we want to know what it is that you have on your mind and anything at all that you both want to share. I would like to say that the media is your friend. If you can't talk to family members, Talk to the media and then get the word out because there's so many people now that with the Me Too, that the media is listening and you can say, it happened to me. It happened to me too. So that's a starting point, I think. How about you, Annette? Anything you'd like to say before we close? Do you feel that it's just wonderful, the collective support? and shifts that have happened in people's acceptance of and listening to the discord about what is going on with victims' rights and survivors' rights and willingness to hear people's stories. Like mom just said, the media, whatever their intentions are for sharing it, it is a tool that you can use to to share your story but aside from that also a lot of people's parents don't want to hear but there's other social media connection and groups that people can come Florida survivors groups and sports groups places where it's safe to talk about your experiences and get the help that you need